0: All right. So, welcome to the fifth class of six. Um, I will tell you, I'm a horrible time manager because uh, I think in the first class we talked about we're going to do all these grandy, wonderful topics, and uh, we've we've started that journey. Uh, I don't know if we're going to end that journey in six weeks, but that's okay. So um, today we're going to finish up uh, conversational evangelism, and then we're going to jump into um, talking about uh, styles of evangelism. Um, I ran, ran across uh, James Trent actually sent me an email on it, so I started doing some more research into it. It popped up in one of my books that I read. Um, about six styles of evangelism. So we'll just kind of talk through some of those, see if you guys have ever used those before. Um, some Sometimes people tend to go towards one um, or a couple different styles, depending on the situation. So kind of talk through a few of those, and then, uh, then we'll dive into friendship evangelism if we have time. And then uh, we'll finish up next week with uh, kind of a summary of what we've been doing. So with that said... Last week, if you remember, uh, we go into the scripture, and I said that Dr. North, in his book, Evangelizing Your Community, he um, introduced this concept of, of conversational evangelism, so we have to have these conversations to talk with people, to um, hand out those little nuggets of truth, or spiritual uh, nuggets of truth, and see if they latch onto those and see where the conversation goes, um, and in that that topic, that conversation, he brought up uh, two two examples or two individuals in the Bible who did that. And yet last week we talked through the Samaritan woman uh, with Jesus at the well in John 4. Today we're going to go over to Acts chapter 17, and Peter is another one that he mentions. So if you guys flip your Bibles over to Acts chapter 17, we're going to read the latter half of that chapter, we're going to be in verses 16 through 32, but to kind of build up, what's going on? Um, it's kind of this is an interesting, um, interesting chapter from the perspective of you have something happen three times. Um, I won't say the exact same time, but it's definitely three times in this this particular chapter, which tells me that um, Paul was very habitual uh, in the way that he went about preaching. So um, you have him visiting three places. You have him visiting Thessalonica. Thessalonica you have him visiting uh, Berera and then you have him going to Athens. So, to kind of build this up, um, each place he goes to, at least in Thessalonica and um, Barera, I hope I'm saying that somewhat closely, um, he goes into the synagogues and reasons with folks and talks to them about Scripture. So, if you um, in verse two and three says, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them. This is the folks in Thessalonica. And for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying that Jesus is whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Um, My reason I read that to you is I want you guys to put that in the back of your mind, store it when we start talking about um, the evangelistic styles because that sounds like stuff that we do today. Um, Very common practice that we do today. And I think Jeremy is going to teach a class on that here in the next couple weeks. So... Um, He goes through, he reasons, uh, he actually gets some people to uh, convert, and and you're going to agree, and then the Jews get mad. Uh, The Jews get mad and say, hey, you got this guy um, claiming another king. They get the Romans involved, um, and basically at the end of the day, Paul gets moved to another town, Pereira. Guess what he does? He goes to the synagogue, does it again, right? Um, Then the same Jews from Thessalonica come down. Um, cause a ruckus, and then they finally put uh, Paul on a boat, and they send him out to Athens. And Silas and Timothy stayed behind in Brera. So as as Paul is waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up, here's what happens. So let's go ahead and read verses 16 through 34. <clears throat> now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, them being Silas and Timothy, um, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers were uh, conversating with him. Some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Argibus? What they said. May we know that the new teaching um, is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know uh, what these things mean. Now all the Aretheans and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So then we get to the Sermon on uh, Mars Hill. So Paul stood in the midst of the Arab whatever and said men of Athens I observe that you are very religious in all your respects for while I was passing through and explaining er, sorry examining objects of your worship I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God therefore what you worship in ignorance I proclaim to you the God who made the world and all things in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people and breathes and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation. And they would seek God, and perhaps they might uh, grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist And even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, um, an image formed by an art or thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to them, to to men, that all people everywhere should uh, repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when he heard of the uh, resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear um, hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, and some men joined him, and believed among whom were Dionysus and Aero whatever, and a woman named Damaris and other with them. So, lots of names there. Lots of things happened in there. So, um, what Dr. North kind of talked about in this is kind of Paul's courageousness, maybe, directness. So, we start this off by he's in this uh, this town. I don't know if he's ever been in this town before. We don't know. Um, I don't know. But um, what does he notice in this town? So right. Idols. idols, right? whole lot of idols. And does he rationalize it away and put it away and just kind of ignore it? No, it says his spirit was stirring. So what does he do? He has to go talk to him. Yeah, well, before that, he, he he does what he typically does. So he's very, like I told you, he's very habitual, right? So he goes into the synagogues and starts reasoning with the folks there. But then he also adds to that, he goes to the marketplace where he finds these... Um, philosophers, I'm not going to try to pronounce the names again, Um, and so then he starts having the conversation there, right, and so as he has that conversation, then they talk about this other place, the Aerogopagus uh, place, and from a Google search, basically what that was is a rock that overlooked the hill where they conducted business, city business. There is another reading that popped up that was many pages long, and I didn't have time to go back to it, but it sounds like it was a very important place where business was taking place. So Paul got to have his, um, we'll say his introductory conversation, right, with these folks, and they said, hey, come back, let's, let's hear this some more. So then they moved to um, this, this Aragopagus place, and he continues to have this conversation. So let's look at what he says, kind of starting in 22, the Sermon on Mars Hill where does Paul start his sermon? And we've talked about this a couple of times in our class as we've gone through. He starts it with relating. Yes, he starts with AR. Right. I've I've walked your town and I've noticed you have these idols. Right. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about this. This. I noticed you had this one idol to an unknown god. So let's talk about this God that you have, right? Then he starts explaining God to them. So, I mean, as we go through our life and as we go through our conversations, you know, we're all going to have to start at different places depending on where those individuals are, right? And we're going to have to have those conversations. Did anything else stick out to you in the um, way that he presented Jesus, God?
1: Chris the one thing I noticed was he didn't he didn't say oh you guys are worshiping these other gods shame on you he said you guys are I can see that you guys are very faithful to your to your religion you guys are very religious people he, he praised them for for what they were doing kind of setting them at ease and getting their attention a little bit versus saying oh you're you're wrong type of thing so the way that he started off with them he kind of put them at ease was allowed them to drop their defense mechanisms so that they could actually listen to what he was going to say
0: absolutely i mean what's the fastest way to get someone on you know the defensive Right? start the conversation off with your mother's ugly or something like that right? or something personal then all of a sudden what's going to happen to that individual they're going to focus on whatever you just said and they're going to shut down all their ears shut down their minds flipping a million miles a minute and uh, your message is not going to get across right? so that's really right Jeremy I like the way that Paul does it I agree he puts them at ease he eases them into that conversation about this God um, and what's the response they listen to him and then they're going to invite him back yep they invited him back right and at the very end it says well some sneered right in 32 now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some began to sneer but others said hey we shall hear you again right and that's going to happen to us all the time as we have these conversations we're going to have people that completely sneer at us and people that kind of say hey I'm curious to see what's going to happen yes David Uh, This is in Athens, and according to
1: commentaries, uh, they love nothing more in Athens than to hear somebody say something new. And uh, when I visited Athens many years ago, the uh, preacher in Athens, I can't think of his name offhand, was our tour guide, and he said, still in Athens, If two Athenians meet each other, they generally say, what's the news? They say, hello, how you doing? What's the news? So that's still apparently characteristic of that area. We want to hear something new. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Yeah. They're always, and growing up and going through school, the, um, Everything you're right. I, in my mind I tie Athens to philosophers to um, higher order thinking to what's new, what's let's let's two people discussing for a long time philosophical matters, right? And um, I agree, yeah, that's that's neat how it's still in that, that area, that, that region. Um, so as some people, some tell my commentaries, David. Some of the commentaries I've read also claim that this particular sermon was a failure because um, he said that only some followed him, right? And then, then the, later on, you never hear of these folks later on in um, in some of his letters. So maybe that didn't stick, is what some of the commentators were thinking of at the time, but. My thought on this particular matter is, I think Paul had the courage to come do that. I can't picture <clears throat> myself going into a town, yeah, pretty sure, going into a town that maybe never been there before and having, just striking up these conversations. That takes a lot of courage, I think, um, from from an individual. But he had these, these conversations, he had these things, that, and he, he got some some fruit. <coughs> I say this a lot during uh, in church here is... Um, you know, if one person is repented, then the whole effort's worth it, right? And um, and, I, and I think it is worth it from that perspective. Um, any other thoughts? Hey Chris, I kind of think, I relate that to somewhat like saying, it's
2: all about our comfort level, right? I mean, think about your job, your engineering, going into meetings. You go into meetings all the time with people you don't know, probably. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, and you talk to them about whatever. And, and I, I think that relates back to us thinking about put ourselves, try to situate ourselves in positions or realize we're in a position where we're at our comfort level to bring up ministry or bring up God because it's not that we don't still put ourselves I mean Paul was sent out to do that he's doing what he was trained or I'm not gonna say well he was well trained but he was told to go do it right so he's doing just like you do in your job today but today it's a little harder for us thinking well how do I go out and spread the word because we don't think of that as our job right first thing that's true as we get up in the mornings right so i think that's a little bit of what we're trying to get out of this class is identifying those situations building our comfort levels
0: and having the conversations right absolutely and you'll go one of the things i do at work all the time um, is i ask especially as it gets closer to the weekend hey um, you know thursday friday hey what are your weekend plans right and i try to sneak something in about church during those weekend plans um, Monday, Tuesday, come back around. Hey, what did you do over the weekend? You know, and that sometimes it's easy to kind of sneak some of that in as well. Hey, I went to church and we did X, Y, Z, or we had fun. So, absolutely, David. I think you're right. You know, as we have those, um, comparing those two, yeah, you're right. How do we do our everyday life? Because Paul was a, a preacher that, that, obviously, if you read his three missionary journeys, he traveled a few, a few miles. He has some frequent fire. Well, frequent boat miles, I guess, and walking miles um, that, he, that he could cash in. So yeah, he, he went to a lot of places to do that. Ricky?
1: It's never a failure when the truth is spoken. <clears throat> because we tend to only look, it's only successful if it ends up in baptism. Mm-hmm. But what Scripture says is some plant, some water, when you plant, you don't say the next morning ah, it's a failure. I don't have any, you know, wheat yet, and I planted it yesterday, you know. Uh, and we don't know if we're watering what someone else is planted. <clears throat> it's God that's going to give the increase. And, uh, we just have a hard time. We want to see results, and we stand in a microwave and say, "Hurry!" <laughs>
0: you know? No, you're right. And that's one of the things we always uh, we talked about in the first class. We always have to put those metrics on ourselves of how, how, how am I going to grade myself to be successful, right? And uh, we have to be careful because you are right because we don't know if we're, um, like you said, watering or if we're planting. And one of the stories, I, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but Dr. North's book, um, he has a, a story here that goes something like this. A Christian mechanic went across the street from a shop every day at noon to eat at the same cafe. He occasionally told the waitresses something about where he went to church and invited them to come. They never did, but at least they knew. Then one of the waitresses learned that she had cancer and she wanted to talk to someone religious. Whom did she know? The mechanic. So she told him about it, and he told her uh, that he thought his minister could really be help to her right now. So we set up a meeting between the woman, three of her friends, and the preacher. A few sessions of a Bible study followed, and after that, all four were baptized. It all started with a conversation with the waitress. And if you think about it, it wasn't just a conversation with the waitress. It was, you know, repeated invitations and constantly never seeing them, you know, attend church. So, you know, could the mechanic just gotten discouraged and stopped talking about it? Possibly. But did he? No. Right? And that's just kind of a way that we can, I can see, regardless if that story is true or false, I can totally see that, you know, working in our lives today. Just constantly just kind of being there and and mentioning it to folks. And you'll be amazed uh, that when times get rough and tough that, you know, they know, hey, I I had that conversation or you keep bringing something up, you know, and they'll come gravitate towards you. Any other thoughts?
2: Chris, it was just like last week. I told the story about the kid I played basketball with. That was a five-minute conversation, which was seed planting only. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was no follow-up for a month, and he just showed up. And, uh, you know, I find myself, whether that's right or wrong, that's typically how I kind of, I'll just mention church and, plant a seed and if somebody wants to follow up on that conversation it's kind of on them you know what i mean yeah i don't keep pressing like a
0: mathis brothers <laughs> study, because everybody everybody hates that uh... you know you're going to get hit right about the escalators when you go into exactly. mathis brothers it's like oh yeah, yeah no, i'm with you
1: but there are no pressure sales
0: <laughs> that, that's right <laughs> but they will follow you around and answer any question that's you sure. want <laughs> No, that, that's a good point, Darren. I appreciate that. Um, so, really, as we're summarizing and finishing up conversational evangelism here, um, really, as we talked about, and I mentioned it last week as well, you know, the objective of conversational evangelism is to build relationship, open doors, stir interest, um, just kind of cast out those little nuggets of, of spirituality just to see if anyone um, bites, and then you can start having those, those deeper conversations. And it's sometimes setting up um i'm sure we have a routine throughout the day we are we, a common task we do throughout the day um, thinking about how do we integrate some of those spiritual things into those tasks to help out so one more story from dr north's book that he had um, that i thought was kind of interesting was a man who drives a pickup in his work puts some tracks and information about the church he attends on his dashboard People who get in naturally reach for something on the dashboard or if it slips off in their lap, aka like when I drive and start doing this, and punch, punching gas, it's going to slip off. When they see this, they ask questions, which is exactly what the Christian wants to happen. So in this particular individual's you know, ideas, that's how he's going to start the conversation. Maybe he, he or she didn't feel comfortable in starting the conversation, but maybe just put something out there to, just, you know, to start that conversation and then see where that goes. So, um, with that said, any other thoughts on conversational evangelism before we shut that off? All right, so now we're going to move to evangelism styles. I want you guys to kind of, there's six of them, so as I kind of read through some of these, I want you guys to uh, think about them, and I want you to kind of think, where where do I fall? If you're (coughs) curious about this, just Google evangelism styles or you can uh, Google evangelism-style surveys. Um, there's some surveys that are like 15 pages long, no joke, and there's some surveys that are like a couple pages long, like where you just go through, you answer some questions, and at the very end it has you do some math, you sum it up in a couple columns, and all of a sudden it says, hey, you you lean towards this evangelism style. Um, in every survey that I've ever taken in a work aspect, um, I have come to the conclusion, and I always kind of started this This class was all models are wrong, some are useful. So um, I would say that what that means is what can you gather from the different models to make work. And if you go to a self-help or a a business well, bookstore, if they still have those today, um, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of leadership styles. In my position today, I found out that one leadership style does not work for me. Uh, Mine is a kludge of multiple leadership styles, and I actually end up shifting depending on who I'm talking to, the situation, what kind of thing I want to communicate with. Um, So I would say that evangelism styles are probably the same way. Um, Just from a personality perspective, we probably do lean towards maybe a couple of these. Um, And a couple of them I would probably never use because it's just not me. But um, as you guys continue this evangelistic (coughs) journey, you guys will probably start melding a couple of these together and make a hybrid one for yourselves. So, with that said, the very first one is the direct or announcement approach. So, think of Paul in Acts two. So, Jesus ascends, we have Pentecost, I think it is, and then Peter gets up and start. As might have said, Paul. Peter gets up and starts preaching, right? And he finishes that whole sermon in verse twenty-five with. I'm sorry, verse twenty. Back that up. In verse 36, chapter 2, verse 36, he says, "In this Jesus whom you crucified, right? He's talking to these people. He basically points the finger back at them and says, This Jesus whom you crucified. Very direct approach. Uh, I've heard radio preachers, I've heard TV preachers kind of use this um, as they do their sermons um, online, or not, well, on the TV or on the radio. Uh, those who have the gift get straight to the point. They preach to Christ and they seek a response. Um, the issue isn't forced, but the person with this approach directs the conversation towards faith, right? It could be unsuccessful at times because people take the directness as insincerity, and the person that's doing the evangelism not, doesn't necessarily know the needs of the audience. They're there to, to do something, and they're going to do something, right? They're there to preach a message, they're going to preach a message and you know, ask for a response. So that's the direct approach. Second one, the intellectual approach or the evidential approach. So, when if you guys remember in verse uh, chapter 17, I said uh, put this in the back of your minds where Paul went in. Yeah, Paul went in to this synagogues, and he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and giving evidence of that Christ had to suffer and rise again. So this is more of the logical approach you sit down and you have a discussion with folks you reason um i think of this a lot with and paul obviously does that later on in mars hill and um later on in that chapter but i think a lot of that as apologetics um, i went through a phase of my christianity probably in my late 20s early 30s where i just read all these all apologetic books Loved it. I think it fits well with my engineering background. A lot of statistics, a lot of stats, a lot of logical thinking. Um, but you sit down and you, and you talk through apologetics. Um, and then you have those conversations with those people because sometimes intellectual roadblocks could be a significant barrier to belief. Um, and so some of these roadblocks include questions and objections that cause doubt. Um, with a variety of Christianity philosophies. So it takes a special one to like to enjoy that, I would think, to sit down and dissect all that information and be able to uh, then regurgitate it and present it in a way that people can understand it. So um, this then the person, um, Randy Beckton actually, in his book, um, Everyday Evangelism, yeah, said that this approach is becoming more and more popular. <coughs> Then you have the testimonial approach. So think of the, um, well, Randy Becton says, this is the once I was lost, but now I'm found approach. So think about it from that perspective. Um, Think of the blind man in John 9. So Jesus heals the blind man on the Sabbath. Um, The Pharisees, you know, come back and say, hey, weren't you blind? He goes, yep, Jesus healed me. They go talk to his parents. Hey, wasn't he blind? They're like, well, go talk to him. They go back to the blind man. Basically, they're trying to trap Jesus, the, uh, the Pharisees, back and forth. And finally, at the very end in verse 25 of John 9, the blind man goes, I don't know if this man, Jesus, is a sinner, but I'm going to tell you what he did for me. Right? And this is the testimonial, what we've talked about during our conversations, that we're going to have with these individuals. At some point, the conversation is going to lead to, why do you do it? What, what has Christianity given to you? And as a Christian, we need to be ready to answer that question. We've not, we need to have done some self-reflection. We need to have an understanding of what has Christ done in my life. Why, why do I continue to go to church? You know, I'm 44 years old, got baptized around 19, do the quick math. You know, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Why do I continue to come back? I'm an adult now. I don't live on my, my parents' faith anymore. Why do I continue to walk through those doors? You know, I'm going to have my own reason. You guys are going to have your own reason of why you continue to do that. And start crafting that message, start crafting that story. Um, One of the things that people talk about in evangelism is we need to have classes where we do stuff like that. Um, Jessica and I were talking, I think it was last week, about one of the classes that uh, she was in, and uh, Dale and a group of us had done this before many years ago here as well, is we... um, You can call it a testimony. We got our testimony together. What what drove me to be baptized as a Christian, right? And it's very personable. Um, And I can tell you, we had tears in our room. I keep pointing because we did it back there in room 110. But, um, you know, we had tears in in all moments when we got together uh, many years ago about, oh, I didn't know that. Or, hey, that's really cool. Because it's very emotional. It's very personable. It's very um, life-changing, right? But you get to know people. And as Christians, I think we need to be able to get together with people we feel comfortable with and let's tell each other our testimonials and then let's figure out a way to communicate that. Uh, This last week at work, we're doing a lot of mock interviews because we have some um, positions that are opening up. And some of the folks there um, have never been through the process. Some have been through the process a couple times. But um, what's always amazing to me is um, when they sit down, basically the process is we give them 20 minutes to go sit down and they look at, say, four questions. After that 20 minutes, then they come sit down in front of a room of a uh, panel of folks. It could be two to 200. Usually it's about three to four. And then you have 20 minutes to give me the answers to those questions. And then we grade those individuals on how they answered those questions. And then that eventually you rack and stack, and that's eventually how. Uh, the person's picked for the job. Um, you'd be amazed at how how many people dismiss the difficulty of communication, if that makes sense. How am I going to tell my story? How am I going to get the thoughts across? Because up here, in my mind, I could be thinking a mile a minute, but I don't know what the mechanism is. But by the time it hits my mouth, things get jumbled and I say things that... Probably, sh- I use incorrect word choices, let's put it that way, right? Not that it's you know um, derogatory or negative, but it could be perceived derogatory or negative. Or maybe I should have used this word choice, maybe I should have used that word choice. And you'd be amazed when you sit down and listen to these folks do these interviews that they, they stumble over the words, they, they thought it sounded better in, in their head, but it didn't come out quite right. So I always tell them when I'm listening to these mock interviews, And I tell Amanda this when I do the interviews and the boys, I'm going to go shut my door in the back bedroom. Unless I scream help, I am not crazy. I'm going to talk out loud. You're going to hear me have lots of conversations with myself. I'm okay. So then I shut the door and I sit there and I practice for, you know, 30, 45 minutes of here's what I'm going to say, here's how I'm going to say it. And and that's just my way of of getting it out. And you will be amazed at I'll go in and I'll say, okay, I think I'm going to say it this way. And over a 30-minute session, that has been completely scrapped, and I'm now wording it this way because it just sounds better. And we need to do that as Christians for our testimony. How am I going to communicate? You do not want the first time that you're going to talk about Christ to somebody to be the first time you've spoken those words out loud because you will stumble, you will say something that you probably didn't mean to say. Um, Practice. Practice with your spouse if you have one. Practice with your dog, cat, a mirror. Whatever you want. Just practice it out loud, right? To say, here is why I follow Christ. Sorry, that was a soapbox moment I didn't mean to get on to. But, next one we have is the relational approach or the service approach. So, I'm going to, this kind of gets into more of, a, of a Dorcas in, chapter, in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to save this for when we get into friendship evangelism here in just a little bit. Um, it's... It's basically where individuals build relationships and um, and loves relating with people. You know people in your life that just love people, right? They just love to be around people. They love to love to have conversations. They love just to just to talk to, to have that relation relational moment, right? Um, and as you form those relations, um, think about the friends in your life. You know you want to do you you're more willing to help those folks. You are more willing to do serve, um, acts access service for those folks, right? You're willing to help out those folks and that's kind of what dorcas does and like i said we'll get to that here in a little bit um think of matthew yeah think of matthew the tax collector in the book of matthew um when jesus comes and and asks him to follow him back in luke chapter five what's the first thing he does he goes grabs all of his friends they get together they have a dinner and then jesus approaches the dinner and they have a conversation you know uh dr north's no, I'm sorry. That was Randy Becton that said, you know, that was, that's a sign to, to Matthew that he, he likes people. He likes to get people together. He likes to have those conversations um, in big groups, in gr- big group settings. And I think about when we, you know, we do game nights here in the fellowship hall with a lot of the families that have kids. And, I mean, I won't say that we play games 100% of the time because a lot of, you know, playing games is what? Small talk, how the family, how the kids laugh in, you know, and you build those relationships that way. So um, it's very relational from that perspective. Uh, Two more. The invitational approach. We talked about this last week. This is where if you don't feel comfortable as an individual talking about spiritual matters, why don't you invite them to church? Um, It's definitely the most natural and easiest way for new believers to reach out to others it's helpful. Excuse me. It's helpful for those who cannot find the right words or feel introverted. Um, they feel more comfortable inviting people to come and see rather than to confront or share. Um, and then the last one is the prescript, prescriptive approach. So this one is a little bit like I think this is the opposite of the direct approach. Remember, direct approach is uh, Paul saying Peter standing up and saying you know, this is the Jesus whom you crucified, you know, basically just very direct to the point and, and blunt. Prescriptive and not necessarily knowing who your audience is. Prescriptive is you know who the audience is and you tailor the message to your audience. Um, and so the, the example that I had in Becton's book was, uh, it's a radio um, program that he used to do where it talked about a lot of people that had like... Um, Depression and those kind of disorders, and so he, he always tailored his message to there's a God who cares and loves for you and things like that So it was more tailored towards what their needed what their needs were So the style is effective when it speaks <coughs> to a particular need of the listener and those who are not feeling But it could be the downside is those who are not feeling an urgent need to do anything may not be moved by the message at all So it kind of depends on where your particular listener is that was a lot of words for me especially in the discussion class so with that said what are your thoughts on evangelism style do you see yourself falling in one of those camps do you think it's a bunch of hooey what do you think chris i mean i think you said earlier about you're reflecting
2: on your own leadership style like for most of us i think it's eclectic like depending on the time the person you're talking to how you feel did you have your coffee that morning yeah. there's, a, <laughs> there's a host of things so i'll just say for me yes i could imagine that it's not pretty narrow for me, that it would depend on the context.
0: Thank you, David. Yeah. Do you guys ever see yourself using one of these styles? Yeah. So, curiosity, which one do you think is the hardest? And why? I'm curious. I mean, we're all different. So if you the tell direct, me the direct one's hardest, I might be like, "Hey, that's my favorite." I don't care.
1: I think the direct approach is the hardest because we did, a lot of people don't like to point fingers, or you know, we see ourselves more as Paul uh, saying, "Hey, I, I'm chief of centers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Direct and direct is sometimes, in my mind, just just observing. Direct would be very tough, right? going in and not knowing your audience and then basically slamming them. I mean, you know, and telling them they're wrong and, and you're going to hell. and um, Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, that would be a tough, tough approach.
2: I do appreciate what you are talking about of practicing what we're going to say. And I think for some of us who've been a Christian for a longer period of time, we can sometimes forget what did make me want to do that years ago what, you know, and we just kind of take it for granted we're kind of, you know, you can kind of be on cruise control with your faith and if you have those conversations with yourself every once in a while to remind yourself, why am I doing this, why am I still, you know, coming to church why do I still read my bible what's the point of all of it, if we remind ourselves that then when somebody asks us or we come into a situation where we can offer that that information to them, we already, re- we already remember why we're doing
0: it and a lot about Christianity, I think, is reflection. And sometimes it's it's convincing us that we do have time to sit back and reflect on what has Christ done. And I can tell you, um, when we did that thing with Dale umpteen years ago, um, it was kind of neat to sit and reflect because you're like, wow, you know, in my, my particular um, situation, I was very rebellious towards the church because it was forced upon me as growing up, um, you know, to the point where... You know, discussions were had of, why don't, you know, why don't you, your your father would like to be an elder one day, why don't you get baptized, you know, type thing. And it's like, no, it's not why I'm going to do this. To wanting to pull away from the church and not be part of it, to seeing how God very creatively always kept someone a believer in my life. Always had those fingerprints on me to kind of keep me grounded, we'll call it, and not go off the rails. So when we did that class, I got to sit back and reflect upon that and go, well done, God, well done, you know, keeping me straight and narrow. So, any other thoughts? Well, guys, thank you so much for class number five. I definitely talked a lot more than I meant to. I apologize. i come back for the last class. Uh, we're going to start the conversation about, well, probably, hopefully start and finish the conversation about friendship evangelism. And then uh, we'll wrap it up with a good conclusion. Um, Thank you, guys. This has been an awesome six weeks. I'm handing over a great class to David. I hope you guys continue that momentum moving forward. Have a good day.